today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Christians can be demon-oppressed. Let me explain. Satan can get a hold of a Christian, a stronghold on a Christian's life, to where he can maneuver them, position them, and even cause them to do what he wants them to do. What does he want them to do? Oh, so discord. In today's message, Pastor J.D. urges you to be alert and guard yourself against the schemes of Satan, God's enemy. You see, Satan wants to use you to cause discord and break down the unity in the family of God. You'll find that he does this by getting a foothold in your life and drawing your attention away from the Lord. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 2 Timothy chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. When you're young, you're more easily drawn into foolish And I'm going to say it again, you'll forgive me, stupid arguments. When you're older and hopefully wiser, wisdom, you realize, I would be foolish to, it's going to accomplish nothing. It's going to ruin, harm, hurt, injure. It's not worth it. And I think when you're younger and prone to this, it's evidence of your immaturity. Now let's talk about it in the spiritual sense. And it goes back to rightly dividing the word of truth. Have you ever considered that many of the arguments you get into, whether it's a husband-wife relationship in the marriage, children in parenting, co-workers in the work arena. I mean, you can just take it across the board in every arena of life. Consider this. Could it be that many of your arguments are evidence of your spiritual immaturity? I think about the writer of Hebrews. I I don't like it, but it's true. The writer of Hebrews writes very, again, explicitly about, I mean, it's a scathing rebuke. You know, you guys are still on milk. You should be teaching God's Word right now. But you never matured. You never teethed so that you can handle meat. You still need milk. That's spiritual immaturity. And I would venture to say and suggest that many of our arguments are simply because we're spiritually immature. I've heard it said, and I believe it to be very true, painfully true if I can say it like that, that the highest mark of spiritual maturity is when you can come to that place where you agree to disagree agreeably. That's spiritual maturity. That's spiritual maturity. Well, I wanted to save 
more time for this last one in verses 25 and 26. It traps me. It's a trap. It's a snare. It's the devil's trap. It's almost like Paul is saving the worst for last. You know how we say the best for last? This is the worst for last. It's kind of like, man, if this couldn't get bad enough, it just did. (laughs) When things couldn't get any worse, Paul has to say what he says here. Think about this. Now, this is where rightly dividing the word of truth comes in. A born-again Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Okay? That's impossible. That's impossible. That's why, again, when if you're not doctrinally settled and stable and set and standing, you'll hear about these deliverance ministries where they're actually casting demons out of Christians. That is not true. If there's an actual demon in that person and they're being cast out, they're not a Christian. They can't be. A demonic spirit cannot reside in a Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, indwelling them. That's impossible. So the reason I mention that and and emphasize that is because for Paul to say this about Christians, that seems to indicate that while Christians cannot be demon-possessed, Christians can be demon-oppressed. Let me explain. Satan can get a hold of a Christian, a stronghold on a Christian's life, to where he can maneuver them, position them, and even cause them to do what He wants them to do. What does He want them to do? Oh, so discord. So discord. You know, many a ministry, many a church, and I would even venture to say many a marriage and a family has been destroyed from within. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church from without. But from within, and Satan knows that. He doesn't want you to know that. I think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. In fact, we have reference to it and of it in the New Testament. It was called the doctrine of Balaam. Oh, interesting. What's, what's that about? Oh, it's found in the book of Numbers of all places. Numbers? Really? Isn't that a boring book? Absolutely not. What's the book of Numbers about? Well, Numbers. (laughs) But it's so fascinating. So here's what happens. The numbers of the Israelites was growing and posing a threat to the enemy nations. And so the enemies of the Israelites set to curse and destroy the Israelites. How are they going to do it? Well, there's a guy by the name of Balak. You know the story? He hires a guy by the name of Balaam, Balaam, who has a donkey. I'm, you're familiar with this donkey? This is a special donkey, by the way. Apparently, 
He's a prophet and he can pronounce curses and blessings. And whoever he pronounces a curse or a blessing on, a curse or a blessing comes upon them. And Balak says, I'm going to pay you big bucks. I need you to curse the Israelites. And here's Balaam. (laughs) Okay, how much? Where do I sign? And he does it. So he sets out on his donkey. And (laughs) I love this. By the way, this is not based on a true story. This is a true, this actually happened. The donkey actually spoke to Balaam. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on a camel to see that? And it's not so much that the donkey spoke to Balaam, it's that he talked back. He's arguing with the donkey. (laughs) Anyway, what does the donkey tell him? Don't even think about it. What are you doing? Stop! And he forges ahead anyway. And so here he is, he's getting ready now. He's in view of the camp of the Israelites, camped in their numbers, according to that boring book in the Bible called the book of Numbers. And he starts to pronounce a curse, and what comes out of his mouth? I mean, not just a blessing. It is such a beautiful blessing. And Balak's going, hey, what's up with this? I'm paying you to curse him, not bless him. He's like, he's like, I don't know what happened. I'm, I'm trying. Hey, let me try again. And he tries again. And it's even more beautiful, the blessing. So Balak is so frustrated. And he says, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's go to a higher vantage point, a higher peak. Because that was the thought in that pagan culture that if you were you know, in a certain area or territory, you had more command of the spirits. This actually has a, it's root in another false teaching, present day uh, territorial spirits. Nowhere in the Bible do you see this. That is not biblical. Rightly divide the Word of God. You know, ah, sorry, just real quick. You know, the prayer walks, we're going to have a prayer walk. I'm like, wow, where's that? book of Acts. Paul walked a prayer walk around Lystra. No. Where's that in the Bible? We got we to gotta take authority and dominion over the territorial spirits. That's not biblical. That's pagan. Know the Word. Rightly divide the Word. So he takes him to this high mountain peak, and sure enough, he tries to pronounce this curse on him, and I mean it's even a more glorious blessing that comes out. Finally, Balak's had enough. You're fired. I don't know if he got paid or not. We don't see it in the <laughs> in the book of Numbers. But very interesting. You get to Revelation. In the letters to the seven churches, and we hear about the doctrine of Balaam, What was the doctrine of Balaam? Oh, he couldn't curse and destroy the Israelites from without. But what he did was he got the Moabite women to seduce the Israelite men and destroy them from within. Do you know why he could not curse them from atop that high mountain peak? 
That's Numbers chapter 6. Here's the list of all the numbers. You've got 12 tribes, four camps, three tribes each. To the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And we have the exact numbers recorded for us. And the east and west, pretty much the same. North, not so much. South, more numbers. And the tabernacle right smack in the middle of that formation of those numbers in the shape of a cross before a Roman cross had ever been thought of for crucifixion. There could be no curse because of the cross, because Jesus the Christ would take the curse of sin upon him, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no curse. You cannot curse. You cannot destroy from without. But you sure can from within. And again, Satan doesn't want us to know that. So what does he do? He infiltrates. He doesn't attack the church from without. He joins the church from within. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. (laughs) He's in the church from within. Sowing. Discord. Division. It's textbook. Divide and conquer from within. That's how he's going to destroy. That's how he destroys churches. That's how he destroys pastors. That's how he destroys marriages. That's how he destroys families. I want to close with Proverbs chapter 6. I want to read verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. And we have the list. Verse 17. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. Verse 19, I, a false witness who speak lies, speaks lies. Uh, the reason I pause for just a moment is because this is very troubling on social media, particularly on YouTube, you've got Christians, pastors, YouTubers, whatever they are, and they are viciously attacking brothers in Christ. And if that weren't bad enough, they're falsely accusing them. God hates that. God hates that. Make no mistake about it. God takes note of that. You're bearing false witness. You're falsely accusing. And here's the, by the way, we are never to entertain an accusation against an elder, a brother, a sister in Christ without the presence of two or more witnesses. That's on you if you do that. 
So somebody comes to you and, did you hear about, no. And then you, you, you call up or, you know, text so and so and, oh, you always do it in such spiritual and noble ways, you know. Hey, we need to pray for so and so. Did you hear what? Oh, we need to pray for them. Really? How about you call them? Pray with them. Don't gossip about them. Spread rumors and false accusations about them. Pray for them. Better yet, pray with them. I have to say that I've, I've witnessed this firsthand over the years on the mainland. I've seen this destroy people's lives false accusations. And then here's the seventh one, and it could be seen as the six are things that God hates, but the seventh one, God doesn't only hate this one, this one is an abomination. Oh, what is it? One who sows discord among brethren, That's an abomination. I think the question needs to be asked, why? You know, there are places in God's Word where I think we would do well to ask the why question. Okay, Uh, why, Lord, did you deem it necessary to have the Holy Spirit inspire the writer to include this in the pages of Holy? Why is this in my Bible? Why do I need to know this? What's the why behind the what? We know what God hates. We know what is an abomination to the Lord, but why? Why is the sowing of discord among brethren an abomination to the Lord? Here's why. Because it was God who was first on the receiving end of this in heaven with Lucifer, who soared discord and division in heaven when he exalted himself and declared of himself, I will ascend my throne above the Most High. By the way, Do you know the one thing that Satan wants more than anything else? Our worship. That's why the Antichrist, who will be the personification of Satan himself, will demand to be worshipped. So he is cast out of heaven, and he splits the angels, a third of the angels. The first church split, if you will, from within. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is how he does it. And this is why it's an abomination to the Lord. One last thing. Jesus said God hates divorce, right? Let's just talk about it for just a moment. Let's ask the why question. Okay, we know 
that God hates divorce, but why? Why does God hate divorce? Answer, he hates divorce because of what divorce does to the divorced. Let me say that again, not a play on words. The reason why, why God hates divorce is because of what it does to the marriage, the husband, the wife, the children. It's devastating. That's why he hates it. And furthermore, he hates divorce because of what marriage represents. What does marriage represent? Marriage is a microcosm of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you know that you're betrothed? You're engaged to be married? Yeah. (laughs) Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Who's the bride? We are the bride. We're engaged to be married. And the wedding date has been set. Oh, when is it? Don't know. Can't send out invitations. (laughs) If you did, it would be like, date, no man knows. Hour, no man knows. (laughs) Time, be ready. Right? And when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first in the bodily resurrection, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And Jesus is going to take us to that place that He prepared for us in His Father's house. And He's going to take us to that place He prepared for us. If it were not so, He would not have told us. And that where He is, we will be also. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to consummate and celebrate our marriage to the Lamb for seven years. As one said it, kind of clever, while the world is tribulating, we will be celebrating. And you know what happens after the end of the seven, the number of completion, when it's completed? The bride and the bridegroom emerge from the bridal chamber, and there's a huge wedding feast the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because now we're married. He's no longer our bridegroom. He's our husband. And that's why Satan hates marriage. That's why he particularly hates, with evil through and through, the Christian marriage. Because of what it represents. We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you haven't yet found a church home, we'd like to encourage you to make that a priority. A church family can be a source of support, comfort, and most importantly, faithful prayer warriors. Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy with this in mind. He knew how important it was to have the support and prayers of other believers in Christ. Church is also a place you can serve and encourage others, too. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join our church family. At Calvary Chapel Kaneohe, we meet on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast prophecy updates and an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. You can also find Pastor J.D.'s ABCs of Salvation there. This is a great tool to share the simplicity of the gospel message with friends and family. Again, that website is inspiritandtruthradio.com. As we continue to study wisdom from the book of 2 Timothy with Pastor J.D., we hope you've been encouraged to live out your faith in a new way. The Bible holds information, encouragement, and instruction that will be beneficial to you on your faith journey. So keep diving in. Well, that's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us next time for more from God's Word right here on In Spirit and Truth.